0: Look, I get it. It's Christmas time. It's a stressful time of year. We gotta go shopping, getting gifts for our loved ones. Especially on tight budgets can be a little bit difficult, but Liz's Holiday Delights is here to save the day. Nanny's homemade chocolate, candy nuts, sweet and savory, cinnamon honey, they all make great gifts. My personal favorite is the Sausage Balls. They are absolutely delish, 10 out of 10. Definitely recommend. But if you want to put in an order, you got to get it in by December 18th to receive it by December 21st. I have the whole menu. I'll post it to my Instagram story. Let me know if there's anything that interests you. No better way to say I love you than Sausage Balls. Ho, 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 and all that jazz. (laughs) femininity
1: That is a thing. It's a thing. Johnny that no Depp. One... What's, what's her name? I uh, Amber Heard. Amber Heard. Woof. That yeah. was a lot. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, that's a great example of yeah, that. You yeah. Yeah. Um, it's
1: all a way of trying to control, which is actually out of insecurity and fear. Um, it's not healthy.
0: No. No. It's it's uh, it it can really take a toll on a relationship too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it would confuse me a lot, you mm-hmm. know, because I would feel like well, I'm just a dude. This is not something I can control. This is just the way I am. (laughs) Um, And of course, you know, there's something to be said for being a a good listener and being a supportive person and all Mm -hmm. that when you're in a relationship. Those are all important things. But I think when the other person is unhealthy, like when the woman is unhealthy Mm -hmm. in the relationship emotionally, Mm -hmm. um, it's, if one partner is unhealthy, then no one is happy.
1: Absolutely. And one thing I tell my gals, I work typically with more women um, and then the LGBTQ community, but I work with males as well. I'll tell my gals is like, make sure you are encouraging. And then also, I don't want to say praising, that sounds a little extra, but um, affirming when a guy is communicating with you in a healthy way, because oftentimes it's something that they didn't grow up with. It sounds like your dad was phenomenal and he helped you understand how to communicate in a healthy way. But often it was just like, do the only feelings that you can feel are anger and, you know, a couple others, et cetera. But yeah, I think it's just important for these ladies to really help and not just have that resentment and expect a guy to know how to be a healthy partner. Of course, that's his own journey as well, but it's it's a process, and you can have a teammateship with it.
0: Absolutely, I I think there's something to be said for that. I think the other thing that can happen mm-hmm. is the moments where you finally do kind of open up and let loose a little bit. You can get your teeth kicked in, and again, this is that makes
1: sense. Yeah, the
0: experience I'm talking about I had in my 20s
1: with maybe some unhealthier people. Exactly,
0: 100. Mm-hmm. percent Going back to that toxic femininity thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, they say, oh, yeah, I want this, I want this, I want this, and then all of a sudden, you give them that, and they lose all respect for you.
1: Yeah. But
0: what I learned over time was that that was something that had nothing to do with me.
1: Amen. You're so right. Um, And I think what did have to do with you, though— to call you out is that awareness of who is healthy to share that vulnerability with and yeah. who isn't healthy to share that vulnerability. 100%. With.
0: You're absolutely right about that. But it, of
1: course, that's a process of learning that yeah. as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. It was it was definitely a, a process because um, it was like I was in so many different relationships in my, in my 20s, situationships, if I'm yeah. going to be real. <laughs>
1: yeah, you told me about that yeah, last time.
0: It was, it, I wasn't. Always noncommittal. You you said last
1: time you were like, the girls would be like, oh, we're dating? And you're like, oh, we're dating? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's a a lot of the way it was, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think if I'm left to my own devices, I can be, um, if I I get into that space, Mm -hmm. I can be very selfish in Mm -hmm. a relationship. Mm -hmm. And it becomes all about Taylor. It becomes Mm -hmm. about what Taylor's mood is that day, what Taylor wants to do, what he doesn't feel like doing. Mm Mm-hmm. I know that now.
1: Mm-hmm. The awareness is there. Yeah, the awareness
0: is there. <laughs> I mean, I, I still have to work on it, mm-hmm. but um, it's something I'm still working through. I mean- Of course. It takes practice.
1: Yeah, and like you said earlier, there's not a final destination. There's not going to be a point in time where I'm like, Lauren, now you have a 50-50 balance of masculine and feminine energy, and depending on life and what it throws at you, there might be time periods where you feel more this or feel more that- But it's that constant awareness of knowing who you are, knowing that worth, and it's not based on only one leg under the chair. To me, it's spiritually based, that inherent worth. And that spiritual journey can look different for everyone, of course. And um, yeah, and so it's a process. There's no final destination of fully healed or fully mature. But it is important for you to be conscious and aware of your behaviors and like you said, having that selfishness to an extent of, okay, do I need to stay in today? But then also if you're dating someone and she's like, Hey, I really have been dying to go to this event. Um, you being able to, you know, say, okay, well, I feel good enough today to go to that event. She's important to me and this relationship's important to me. And so I do want to do that.
0: No. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's, uh, Everything in life really comes down to compromise and mm-hmm. negotiation.
1: Negotiation—that was our favorite term last. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> last podcast. Yeah,
0: no. Well, it's like you have to be able to negotiate, but you also have to to have those boundaries
1: mm-hmm.
0: of what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to mm-hmm. do. And every aspect in life is negotiation.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to say a lot of that stuff to an extent up front not like first date second date third date but once you're really starting to get to know someone communicating to them what is important to you so for me working out yoga all of those things are crucial to me feeling like a healthy person and so of course there's going to be times where I'm like oh, okay I can skip yoga that night but for the most part that is a pretty standard thing that I am going to stick to in my life um, for right now at least
0: Yeah, well, it's fine. You have to, going back to everything being a journey, Mm -hmm. you have to be willing to go out and seek those different things. Mm -hmm. And those things are going to change over time. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a few constants that are in there. Yeah. Um, Like for me, it's music. It's playing music. And that is what I, it's such a large part of me. Mm -hmm. It's not the only part of me. There's other parts there. Yeah. But it's one where if I had a bad day at work or if I'm just not, into anything, and I'm just like, I want to tune the world out, mm-hmm. time disappears like that. It uh-huh. vanishes. Uh-huh. In a positive way. Okay. But time can also disappear in a negative way.
2: Worst Broadway horror story? Mine? You, you got some?
3: Uh, dude? Oh, man, you got...
2: Things that have happened, drunk people, people knocking over shit, like... Anything crazy ever happen when you're playing on stage on Broadway? I'm terrible
3: at being put on the spot because I have a terrible memory. <laughs> but um one Sorry. we were playing a gig and one dude got drunk and fell down and the whole PA system fell down. And no it, shit. It broke everything and then that was the end of the gig. Where was that at? Do that you was remember? just at the Moxie Hotel. It was like a shit gig. Damn. Just like an acoustic like so some drunk guy he gig. knocked
2: over the PA system?
3: Um, yeah. Damn. And so did the gig just end. That was it. Yeah, there no sound. We, I just picked up and left. <laughs> <laughs> did you still get paid? Yeah. They I guess yeah, they had. I mean, it wasn't your fault. Yeah, they paid us and yeah. I mean I'm
2: guessing you didn't get that many tips that day.
3: Actually, we did because really? the, that dude who fell down, he, he was, did people feel He bad? was dropping hundreds in the tip jar. <laughs>
2: the 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 dude who knocked the shit. I think hit? so, yeah. Ah uh, well, I guess it so worked out it for was you like a, then. Yeah, it was a. Couple he felt bad, long. and he was just like, "I'm gonna just throw some hundreds. And no, you're... it
3: was it was before it, f- it happened. He was just oh, like, he was just drunk Play and... Tennessee <laughs> whiskey. Here's a hundred. Play Sweet Home Alabama. Here's a hundred.
2: Oh, someone invite
3: that guy back. He was yeah. trying to impress the girl he was with. <laughs> oh wow, that's what he was doing. I'm trying to think of another. There was um, one. Uh, we got a note. Early, I don't. Know. Let's see. Yeah, we got a note in the Johnny Cash's, which was kind of funny in the tip jar, uh-huh. and it, like it was like someone sat down and wrote this out, and we we're playing at Johnny Cash's, so people think that like it's gonna be You're like, gonna get country, country music, and we yeah. play Led Zeppelin and like Aerosmith. Sure. So yeah. like this old lady or whoever it was, I don't know, wrote sat down and wrote a letter that said like. This is the worst band I've ever heard. Worst Johnny Cash band I've ever heard. You guys should be ashamed of yourselves for playing such pitiful music. Yuck. Whoa. blah 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 and just like it was just like and she put it in the tip jar. Wow. I couldn't believe I was just like wow, that's nuts.
2: Like go to Kid Rock's. Yeah, well they play rock there too. Yeah,
3: I don't know. Just go if if you don't like go to Tootsie's. Tootsie, they
2: they play pretty much country there.
3: Yeah, that that was kind of wild. I'm trying to think what else. Didn't
2: you get punched on Broadway? I did. Was that that
3: that wasn't during a gig though? No, that was after. That was gnarly too. What what happened? Um, we were. It was 2:30 at night. We were walking back to the van after the gig, and um, me and Charlie we are walk we are walking side by side and there's these three dudes in front of us and they started talking to us and it, the the conversation was super chill and we were just like hey how are you guys doing where are you from like oh awesome you guys were hanging out here and they're like oh yeah you guys are musicians yada 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 like yeah we just got done playing a gig man it's really cold out like yeah just like just random chit chat yeah chit chat and um then, like, one dude was like, you know, he was like giving me a hard time, like joking around. Yeah. I think he made some joke and I made some like joke to him too. Yeah. Cause like we're like bullshitting with each other. It's just sure. like being like funny. And then, whatever, I think whatever joke I said, apparently one of the guys was, I don't know, took it wrong way and just turned around, punched me right in the face for no Holy reason. Holy shit. It was, I was literally like having a conversation with this person, laughing and having a good time. And then all of a sudden, I was, had something hit me in the face, and I was on the ground.
2: What happened after that? Did they? Did he get off you, or who uh, was? Uh, who, you said uh, Charlie was with you, and who
3: else? Um, Jeff and Ari, and then um, yeah, Charlie beat the shit out of the dude who punched me, and his two friends that were with him just ran and fled. Huh. And
2: holy shit! So Charlie was just like yeah fuck that charlie's
3: like you can't hit my friend like literally hitting him. <laughs> i love him, charlie so much hitting him with every syllable of that sentence shout and out to
2: charlie what's charlie's last name
3: charlie abbott shout out to
2: charlie abbott man for avenging scotty yeah and immediately, uh, immediately. instant immediately. Vengeance. it was
3: just immediate it was just like that's my golf buddy You. Can't. that's the <laughs> homie right there yeah. he's like
2: you punched my homie I'm going to punch your face in now.
3: It was pretty gnarly. I love that. Mm -hmm. There's a picture of it out there, and uh, it was the wildest thing that's probably happened on Broadway to me.
4: Chopper John, your eye in the sky. It's 5 o'clock. You've guessed it. You're fucked for a good 45 minutes before you can finally load up your weed and smoke, especially heading westbound on I-40 towards Bellevue. We have an overturned semi of elf bars, and people are looting, so that's caused quite a bit of backup through there. Southeast of in Laverne, watch for police folks are patrolling speed, and they're literally fucking people and having a gangbang along I-24, and that's caused at least an hour delay. I-24 eastbound, so be on the lookout for that. And also, if you're heading to it, you're completely fine because no one wants to live there you're listening to the poptivist this is chopper john your eye in the sky we did this uh like a, a recording session with like the uh the blackbird academy and uh i remember the one of the engineers said that he was like oh you guys are so tight if we were fa- if we were faster we could record like six songs you know right. what I mean yeah uh which room did you guys record in at blackbird
5: I want to say it was Studio A. Nice. It was the, the, the big one with the window up on top yeah. that you can look down
0: on. Studio A. That's uh, the fucking Chris Stapleton recorded in there. Mm-hmm. John Mayer recorded in there. Um, the Killers. And I mean countless others. That board was owned by uh, Donald Fagan from Steely that's Dan. So Wow. Uh,
5: Multi-Ultra, the homies, did their whole, all the singles that they're putting out right now. Um, I re- I track drums in that studio with him as well. Nice. So, yeah, it was cool coming back and being in the exact same studio, kind of having a little bit of experience before. So Yeah.
0: I've recorded at Blackbird probably three or four times now. Nice. Both as a session player and as like a, for my music. Yeah. And um, Blackbird is like top of the line, nicest studio you could ever be in. It, it's like the yeah. perfect place for musicians. Well,
5: one of our producers the other day just told us that it's one of the nicest studios in the world. Yeah, I believe
0: apparently. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've been lucky enough to record
5: there for free, mul- right. well,
0: well, me multiple times. Yeah. You guys mm-hmm. and you Dustin yeah. multiple times. Yeah. It's a it's a a great experience. I think that's one of the good things about living here, uh,
4: is you get you just get random opportunities like that where you get right. to record. That is true. Because yeah. it's, uh, I remember I read something from, uh, Sturgill Simpson where he said he told everybody he said don't move to nashville yeah just get in a van and go play places and it made me think i was like I, he is right but also at the same time there's a lot of opportunities that i wouldn't have had if i didn't move to nashville to i agree with that uh um, but i also agree with stirs theory I, theory what
5: if he what if he's just looking out for nashville he doesn't want people to move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He just he just knows that it's getting annoying, yeah. and he's like, "What if we just keep it chill, and and right. not encourage a bunch of people come. to move here?"
0: Well, the longer that I'm in Nashville, the more I understand why Sturgill said that. Yeah, oh for sure, because <laughs> you can get burned out, man. I mean, even even for me, um, I just got super burned out. Of course, I had the other shit going on. Last year, but I I haven't played a gig in over a year. I've really just recorded songs here and there and have done little shit and kept doing the podcast. But I've I've largely been inactive on the music front for the most part. Um, And I kind of like had to relearn what it was like to be a person and have a job again and shit, which is new. It was it was nice for a little while.
4: But it's getting old. Yeah,
0: it's getting old. Like it sounds better to me like playing on Broadway right now mm-hmm. and making money that way than having to to do what I'm doing. And there's I'm doing other cool shit besides just, like, working. You know, I, I got Dude. shit in the works. Some of it that we've talked about um, that'll be coming up. But it's, like, the thing I think that really burns me out is just people wanting to, um like, the fame thing. You know what I mean? Like the music music business people that are our age that are trying to have careers as well. Mm-hmm. And they're working on music row and shit. And it's just like they're always so, not to generalize, but a, a large portion of them are needy and kind of whiny and very entitled about their terms and conditions to, to even breathe in the same room as you. And I'm, I'm just... Starting to get fed up with it, dude. I
4: don't want to be nice about it anymore. The people that are our age that have like industry jobs, yeah, because there are a bunch of fucking cons. Honestly, (laughs) there, there's a lot of them, dude. Yeah, there's a lot of people our age that have industry jobs. What it makes you like high jobs too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh,
0: it's just the more and more experience that I get here, I just don't want to be fucking nice to those people anymore. Yeah. I'm I'm personally fucking fed up with it. Um. I can't take it anymore, dude. I'm just so tired of uh feeling used and abused by people. You know, like they hit me up, want to come on the podcast, or I meet them, they seem cool, but it turns out I I don't, I don't know. I don't want to talk like massive shit, but it's just more and more frustrating as time goes on where I really don't want to fuck with it anymore. Like I I don't know if I would be in Nashville right now if it wasn't for like my family being here and like you. Friends like you guys being here, yeah. Because yeah. I'm just sick of it, man. Yeah, I'm just I would sick say of the bullshit.
5: My my experience with uh, working with anybody in the quote industry is like industry guy A. Every decision he's telling you that you should make, he also tells you it's not like I like this. I don't like this. But industry guy B told me that it has to be this way. And then you go talk to industry guy B, and he says well, I don't like that it's like this. I wish it wasn't like this. But industry guy C told me that this is how it's got to be. Then you go talk to that guy, and once again, he's, oh, well, this is dumb, and I don't think that it should be like this, but this is what industry guy D says. And you find it's just a big chain of fucking pussies sucking each other's balls. (laughs) No one likes it. No, No one in the industry thinks the direction they're going in is actually good or actually cool. They all think, well, this is what the algorithm wants. This is what the industry wants. This is what the kids want. This is what this wants. It's like they don't want the stuff that is, they don't want art that is being created off a to-do list of what the algorithm is requiring to blow up. Those algorithms are, are morphing based off of what new dope shit pops off because it's new dope shit. So what happens is like, okay, like Billie Eilish puts out an album where you could argue that most of the music that she puts out is, is very low frequency, very bass-driven, very whispery. It's low. The vibe is low on purpose. It's like incognito vibes. Okay, so she puts that out. Now all the industry is like, well, this is what's cool now. This is what everybody wants. No, 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 no. They don't think your music now has to be low frequency and whispers and creepy harmonies. It needs to be genuine the way that her music is genuine that's what people like about it. They're not specifically focused on like, oh, well, she did A, B, and C. So if you do A, B, and C, you'll be popular. And I feel like most of the industry, whenever something pops off, it's a bunch of pussies not actually doing stuff. They're just writing books about people that are successful, how they think that that person did it, and how you can do what that person did to allegedly become a successful. But it's like, that person didn't get there by a step-by-step process following some formula. They created a new formula. And I just feel like the most of the industry people that I talk to are so focused on following the format, following the formula, following the thing that the numbers said, the statistics said to do. And they're not following the thing that created the statistic in the first place. The, the more
0: sense. ethereal part of it.
5: The actual source of where the shit's coming from in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something that everyone has and everyone's is different. So it's like, if, if you tap into your little superpower, it's going to blow up and then some dipshit in a suit is going to be like, well, this is what's hot now. This is what everyone needs to do. And then I'm going to come out with my genuine product and that's going to be dope. And then people are going to say, well, now it has to be like this, let's copy off of this guy because that's the market now. So I feel like there are industry people that that recognize that and that know like oh no people like what's genuine people like real stuff especially now I think people are really seeing through the TikTok thing and they're really seeing through all the trends uh, I think it's kind of a phase that is slowly fading out um, but yeah I would say overall it just seems like one guy's pleasing his boss who doesn't want to do any of the things that he needs to do to please his boss, but he thinks his boss wants it. And then you find out his boss is doing the exact same thing for his boss. Who's doing the exact same thing for his boss?
0: It's corporate America. And they Brian. all
5: they all think it's a bad idea, but they're doing it because the next guy up told them that it was a good idea. But he doesn't actually think it's a good idea either. You know what right. I mean? So it's this big chain of people with money lying to themselves and then making us abide by their decision it's just pathetic bullshit. No, it's just like
4: what you said it's corporate they're, they're just America. Spineless. Yeah. it's just I mean... co- it's a giant corporation with billions of dollars yeah well it's it's also
0: they don't they, i mean the music industry has never been big on risk but they used to be a lot bigger on risk because now like it's just shrunk the game has changed mm-hmm. it's just the way it is it's not bad or good it's just how it is it's different it's just
5: different. But what's interesting is when you get up close to these people that have the power and you you talk about these things, they're not jazzed about fucking TikTok, dude. Like they're not like any industry person isn't like, "Oh my god, Spotify is amazing." They're they're kind of pissed that the the modern music world has shifted into this thing that's really hard to make money off of for some people. But they're just like, "Well, this is the way that it is now." And I think everyone is so quick to adapt because they want to succeed that there's no time because we're all scrounging to survive. There's no time for anybody with power to sit and be like, wait, this sucks and no one likes it. How do we create a a more organic and genuine way to go about this? Um, But I don't think anyone really when you dive into any of these people we're talking about and you look at their individual daily lives, do do any of these people even have the time to be self aware enough to realize the things that we're saying, or are these motherfuckers just showing up to work, clocking in, and doing their job, and that's just how the cookie crumbles?
0: I think I think it's the second one, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's they're still it's, pussies. Yeah, they're saying. still yeah, absolutely one hundred percent. But I think to a lot of those people were people who have a dream to be an artist. Yeah. Versus be and somewhere along the way, they they quit, they give up. Yeah. Which. Maybe not even saying quitting or giving up is, is the, the right term. Didn't work out. It didn't work out. Maybe they started having kids, life circumstances, whatever. I can't fault anybody for that shit. But I feel like in a weird backhanded way, they take it out on artists. I feel like people like us are seen as peasants by them. They look down on yeah,
4: us. There, some people, for sure. I I feel like I've had some relationships with, you could say, industry people where... They're very friendly. You know what I mean? They're very friendly and like genuine. You yeah. know what I mean? But I, I, that doesn't mean that everyone is, though, for yeah. sure. Especially someone you don't know going into it. You know what I mean?
5: I think that the more experienced a person is, um, the more faith that you will typically see them have because they've seen that it is possible to do the impossible. Uh, but you're right. It's it, those who, can't do teach and I I know that because I used to be a teacher and uh, I think a lot of these industry people are well I didn't make it doing weird music so weird music must not sell it couldn't have been my fault weird music just must not be the cool thing because my weird music didn't take off so you can't make weird music because it won't work and that's how they think because they've never been that successful whereas if you're going to work with somebody who does have experience with success they're going to have a higher ceiling Saying, you know, try it because it can work. Uh and I, I think it's pretty common to find people who have done less and less typically be more vocal about limitations and ceilings because they don't they've never experienced what it's like to, to wear the ring. You know what I mean? The ring of power? Yeah. And I think a lot of industry people I mean, most people in the music industry can at least fucking play a G chord on a guitar yeah. You know what I mean They've all tried it Maybe. At some point point. Uh, and yeah I mean I think yeah. I don't think all of them are I know that there's plenty of people That work in there That can't play a single Fucking instrument um, But overall I would agree I do feel like a lot of it is They tried and, and whatever didn't work out for them They have convinced themselves That this could never work out For anybody Because it didn't work out for me <laughs>
6: Um, in New Jersey, I kind of felt I, New New Jersey, New York, I was Northern New Jersey and I was definitely more Jersey than New York, but spending plenty of time in New York also. And I kind of had felt that I had hit that same place where I was like, um, you know, I was not the top dog by any means. There was better players and people busier than I, but I was very busy. I would say I probably did burn out. Um, I also had some lousy experiences with like, I went on tour with a woman who didn't pay us after, you know, a month of touring with her. And I had signed a contract and gone into that whole thing. And that experience was really, really lousy because it it was uh, a moment where when she gave us the contract, I thought I had done it. The thing that everybody, it was, we were on retainer. So I was getting paid for sitting at home and getting paid for on the road. And it was in the contract. And I was like, this is the dream. This is what every musician wants is to be paid, you know. Regardless. Right. You know, like that's how, and I, it, I should have seen it coming because it just it was it sounded too good to be true, it was too good to be true. What uh,
0: what was her deal like? Not not asking her her name or anything like that. What was the genre and sure? What was the situation of how you got that gig?
6: So it was it was a blues artist. Um, I got the gig through a bass player that I was. V- oh, so yeah. So basically, the b- bass player. Her name's Justine um, huge fan of Justine. Justine was playing bass for another organ player named John Ginty. Um, John is the reason I really got into playing B3 to begin with. Um, he hired me at a school of rock in New Jersey, 12, 13 years ago. Um, and was the first person to be like, Hey, you ever play B3? And I was like, I'd love to, but I haven't had a chance to. He's like, well, try that one. So Justine was his bassist for his solo project. And so when she called me and was like, hey, I'm going on the road with this other artist. I'd love to have you as the keys player. John said, you're the guy. And I was like, say no more. I'm in. Uh, And I was super excited to go do that. So that's how I got pulled into it. And she was MDing and kind of also, uh, I guess, kind of doing the tour management stuff side of it also. So that was how I got pulled in. I don't know how much she knew about the artist at the time or not. um, But we knew that, you know, through social media, the, the artist was touring nationally, internationally, and and doing a thing, signed to a blues label, Um, you know, so we saw all of that, Um, and then, like I said, we were all presented with a 10-page contract that was, you know, very legit, I had a lawyer and a manager go over it, both agreed, this is a real contract, (laughs) you know, like, this is good stuff, congratulations, Uh, you know, I remember sitting there with my younger brother, and like, both of us, actually, he, burst into tears first and like caught me off guard cause he was just yeah. so, we were both, for him, he was realizing like, this is what you've been working for forever. Yeah. So I was really, really excited about all of it. Um, and then we did a couple gigs and those got paid normally. Like basically there was a short run that we did in the Northeast that was like four gigs kind of as like, let's see how the band does. And then we had like a week off and then we did a headlining two or three shows out in the Netherlands um oh shit okay so it was like no it was that was the thing it was yeah. it was hard it was hard not to think like this is all really Rigit. legit yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah definitely went to the netherlands and definitely played venues with you know a thousand or more people sitting there you know definitely there to see her um so the whole thing was just kind of and then the top of the year rolled through and we were doing national a national tour january 1st or january 2nd i think we rolled out the first leg was straight from new jersey to san francisco three days Um, oh shit yeah like direct and i had never been in a van that long ever that was this was my first like real touring experience to that extent i guess i had done from new jersey to nashville so 10 hours we were doing 16 hours a day yeah Um, and then going and playing a gig we hopped out
0: and loading out and then
6: we got to san francisco we got to san francisco hopped out of the van and we were playing you know that we had just enough time I remember my buddy and I uh recreational weed had just gone legal there and we were so super stoked because really like, yes and we got out and apparently it had like not gone I forget if we were in Oakland or San Francisco whichever one it was like not legal in just the section of town we were in oh my god and we like walked into the store and we were like so you know we've been in for three days we're like yes and then the guy was like dudes i'm so sorry (laughs) um and then we went and played the gig and that that was the start of that and like i said the first couple gigs good um and then i think the first we were supposed to be getting paid i think weekly the first round of checks my check was the only one that cleared. All the other ones bounced. Yeah. And I don't even know how or why, because they definitely cashed theirs. First, it was probably just banking, you know, whatever it was. It was just, I was the lucky one who mine went through. And and then after that, we saw no more money.
0: Uh, so was there a conversation that was had to you about this? Like, look, we fucked up? Or was it just, didn't ever
6: talk to you again? Gave you the runaround? The runaround. I mean, basically, you know, she was telling us that the label was going to be helping out. And... You know, this, that, and just, you could, just, um, oversights, like almost inexperienced. I, when I look back on it, my gut is that she had probably done a lot of international touring where a lot of the stuff had either been set up by, um, you know, when you go play, a festival or something like that so much of it is handled by the festival it's all yeah. like you're coming across the country they're going to handle your flights your travel your hotel like th- th- this is where they've booked everything there's not much planning in that you know you, you're not doing the driving or somebody's shuttling you and that kind of yeah. stuff yeah so i think all of that fell on her when she, you know we started and and it's simple stuff like when you rent a van and start traveling across the country you're going to need to do an oil change at some point when you've already done, you know, 8,000 miles yeah. in the first three days. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was like, you know, I think it was those kinds of things. It was just consistently missing. And she was, yeah, I don't know that she meant to be malicious. Yeah, I, for sure. You know, I don't think she was like, I'm going to get Trying to suckers. fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. I got I mean, I hope that really isn't who she is. Yeah. Um, I don't think it is, but it, you know, she, it still happened. Yeah, and yeah. she she's definitely never made good on it. And I still see on social media she's touring and this and that. We we had reached out to different bands and groups of artists that had played for her just to be like, hey, did you get paid? <laughs> like, have you ever been paid by her? Um, and what did they say? A lot. Basically, what it seems like is like internationally, she does so much more internationally. I think we were like the trial run in the national. Thing. Well, it's so shitty, dude, because. She should
0: own it and be like, hey, I'm going to make good on this. This is totally my fault. I had so many oversights. Maybe introduce a new contract or some kind of payment schedule of when I'm going to pay you guys back and just be like, I fucked this up royally. This is on me. I'm going to figure out how to get you guys
6: paid, though. Anything. It, yeah, it, man. She gave us nothing. Yeah. Not a, not a message to say, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't make good on this. Hey, none of that. And yeah. and to be honest with you, Justine definitely got it the worst because she the, the van was on her credit like I mean all of this oh, stuff was shit. just left we were just left and you know and basically so at the end of that January month we were in Houston uh, I think we had like three or four more gigs left on the, on the books but um, we we as a band without her sat down and we're like what what do we do <laughs> like morally <laughs> like, it's not well not even morally but it doesn't even make sense to to do it well, so that was the question. It became like, do we, do we continue on and go play these gigs knowing that we're not going to get paid, or, yeah, it, I mean, it, it was a hard question. And for me, I was, I was struggling with the idea of coming home early and having to explain to people what happened. Yeah, and telling that you know, like I, I was feeling like I was going to be judged negatively because of how this went down with this artist, which that's not fair. I, you know, I shouldn't have been thinking about that so much. Um, but it, it was just, yeah. I mean, we, so we were in Houston. We came to the decision to, that we were going to basically tell her, look, we'll go play these gigs, but you, the check is going to be handed from whoever's paying at these venues directly to us. There is no, it's not touching your hands. Yeah. All of the money is coming to us and we're going to split it across us. We'll make sure, make sure gas and all that. And then we are going home. Um, so we, we did tough it out and finished it out. Um, did, did you get the money from those gigs? Yeah, but I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was minuscule compared com- to what you were owed. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah, a couple hundred bucks across for us to, you know. Yeah. And then the like insult to injury was like the last gig we were supposed to, we had been told by the venue that they had a place for us to stay. I think it was in Iowa or somewhere out there. Uh, and snow started to fall. They did not have a place for us to stay and our only option was at the end of the gig to just start driving back to new jersey oh which again is another 16 hour roughly jesus christ and then the snow just the storm just followed us all All the way and it it turned it into like a 20 24 hour trip like we we were in and i i've never been on highways like that like you couldn't see the road (laughs) yeah it was not safe but it, it, it wasn't safe and it was safe at the same time because there was nobody. <laughs> like, you know? Well, my, my question is for
0: the contract that you signed, were you, like, did it protect you at all to where you could go to her and be like, yo, we have this fucking contract, pay us. No,
6: and that's, uh, you'd think, yes. That was what, again, that was why I did have a lawyer look at it and I, I, I wanted to know, like, this is a real contract. Unfortunately, it's an example of where the contract doesn't matter because, you know there's a a number of reasons one was we couldn't figure out where you know like is it her llc you have to go out after or is it her yeah then it was well where is her llc located well it was uh, based on what we could find was based in new orleans (laughs) and we didn't know was she living in new orleans or was she living we, we met her in like the newark new jersey area yeah you know it didn't
0: really make sense
6: all of it and and that's the part where it gets like i'm not sure like that it, if it was a con or i i who that that's, that's yeah. the part where it does convoluted get, it's convoluted but it's also i wasn't sure if like she had set herself up intentionally to be impossible to track this way yeah that that is the only time where i was like ah, this is really fishy yeah um and then i i talked to different friends and lawyers about this and that and some people make it it's hard, I, again, I don't know enough about this to know, but so, uh, I had heard from one or two people that I would have to go state by state because of being each gig being like a work for hire in each state. Fuck. Yeah. And a lot of work. At the end of it, it probably wouldn't have been worth it. Not at all. Not at all. And then on top of that, she had no money. Yeah. So it, it, you're not getting blood out of the stone, you know? Yeah. So Yeah. That was the bottom line was really like, what were we going to do if we finally found her and took her to court? What was it? I guess they could put a lien on her and say like, you know, pay this back over time. Um, But but,
0: who knows if that even would get resolved like three or five years from whatever the date was, then it's not going to matter. It's just worth it to let it go and to spiritually just have it off your soul and then be like, well, i learned a lesson. Even though it's shitty to learn those lessons.
6: No, that's but and that's ultimately how I took it. Was I, I went look, uh, you know, let and I, I teach you know I still teach at a school of rock and I I am it's lousy to be the example, but I am the example of now. Nah, I definitely can see the forest for the trees more. You know, like yeah. when people come to me now with stuff that sounds too good to be true. I it is I, every time. Yeah, and, and I you know I I don't want to be the pessimist in that kind of stuff, but I I learned.
0: I, I've made a lot of my big life decisions based on dreams that I've had, where I've had um, a question that I've been asking myself. What am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this? What What is the right move here? I don't know. Just being scared, fearful. And then I'll have a dream, and it won't even be something that spells everything out or have anything to do with my problem.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: but I'll wake up and I'll have the answer. I'll like wake up Whoa. the next morning and I'll and and that's happened to me probably 5 or 6 times in my life where I've ha- kind of had these pi- pivotal moments where I've been going through a tough time. It happened before I moved to Nashville. I had a dream like that. And then last year I had this dream where it was I was coming right down to the end of this whole depressive phase of of being sick and everything like that. Yeah. And I was going through this land that was being ravaged by a wildfire. Whoa. And I don't know how other people's dream worlds look, but it's like my dream world is very surrealistic. It's like something something is off. It's, oh, yeah. it's like, like not quite reality, mm-hmm. but in the moment you believe it's reality. Oh, for sure. And in the end of the dream, I finally, I got to, it was, I was on this highway and I survived this fire and I got rescued um, and I was told that I was going to be okay, and we went up a couple exits, it started looking better, like things were already recovering from the fire, and I got off on this one exit, and there was this tree that it was just like springtime, like it is today, where uh, it's starting to bud a little bit, there's, there's no real leaves on it, and there was a bird on it, and it flew away, and then I went up another exit, and I got to this beach. And it looked so serene and so perfect, almost cartoon-like. Um, and I looked out on the, on the ocean and the sun was perfect. It, w- it was like the sun was setting or it was just coming up. And um, I was about to get on this boat and then to go on this, this voyage out on the ocean. Then I came back to land and I was like, no, I just want to appreciate where I am right now. I don't have to keep going. And I got back and I, wow. I, I was like crying in my dream. I woke up. And I knew that everything was gonna be okay, like despite wow. all this hardship that I faced yeah. i th- th- just this this feeling this emotion that this dream left me with it was like a a safe harbor during a storm
2: that's so beautiful, yeah, that's amazing,
0: yeah, I don't even do drugs anymore.
2: <laughs> I've never done drugs so really fun fact, yeah, I mean yeah, I'm like.
0: Yeah, I've never done.
2: I'm crazy enough.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I I smoked bad. a lot of weed. I accidentally smoked cocaine once, and I almost oh, died. Oh, jeez. Yeah.
2: Thank you for not dying. Yeah,
0: it was um, right oh, in between shit. New Year's, White like Christmas, and New Year's of 2019.
2: Oh my God. Um, what a pivotal time in the world.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was mm-hmm. it was a foreshadowing of mm-hmm. of the the times to come, but. Yeah. Uh yeah, I almost fucking died. It was a horrible experience, okay. totally on accident. I wouldn't have voluntarily done cocaine. Yeah. Um without knowing it was just the weed I had was laced. What
4: the hell?
0: Um and that was kind of another wake up moment where we're like, fuck. I haven't I haven't really smoked weed since then. I've smoked
7: maybe like two or three times. I think obviously as as cliche as it sounds, it's like you get older, you appreciate things more, X, Y, Z. But it's definitely the kind of place that I could definitely see like people who know people from kokomo and go and visit i could see them really liking kokomo that makes sense to me for some odd reason because it is kind of like a unique place i do and obviously i think like most places in america or really around the world it's like there's just more people and i think as different i think there is like a general the generation of like elder millennials that maybe are having kids later. So people are opening all these businesses. So I do think there is just more to do in most cities. And I think Kokomo, cause I, I remember when I was like 21 growing up there, there really wasn't like much to do other than like play music. So I do feel like now it's like, I don't know, there's a little bit more of a scene. It seems like for like creative people and stuff to do. So you left when you were 23, where did you go? I moved to LA. Okay. So I, um, I graduated from Kokomo high school in 2001. And then I wanted to go to Ball State, but I was, like, a really terrible student. So I didn't even – I actually got denied to Ball State. I wanted to be in the telecommunications program, and they said no. So I applied to IUK, which, of course, I got in. And uh, I went there for four years. I graduated with a degree in corporate communications. And then after that, I moved to L.A. to go to Musicians Institute. Okay. What
0: was Musicians Institute
7: like? So the uh, – it was, it was really great. I mean, it's definitely still there. I think um, – the school that I went to there was called GIT, the Guitar Institute. I mean, at that time and even now, I, they, they have so many different programs. You can go there for drums, for bass, keyboards, production, singing, music business. Um, so that was definitely like, there was like one guy I met there named Nate Lotz, who I met like just posting on one of those like message boards. I was like, I want to be in a band, and my favorite bands are Coheed and Cambria and Mars Volta and King Crimson. And this guy, Nate, responded to that. And then it was through him that I met Tyler Johnson and Cam and all these people that are a big part of my life today. So I really look at like moving there was definitely the start of like... I just felt like growing up in Kokomo, I I took music really seriously. And I definitely think of... I worked at Sound of Music for four years all through college. I guess I consider that like the beginning of my music career just because I was like around good musicians and I was like super into it. So when I moved to LA, it was like... I was definitely very focused and was like, I think in 2005, my version of having a career in music was like, well, I know people will give me money to play guitar. So I moved there to to do
0: that. So what was it like when you first moved there? Were you kind of down in the trenches working shit, day jobs and stuff like that when you first got to LA?
7: No, I took out a bunch of student loans um, and I lived, I mean, you know, this was like mid 2000s. So I think it. I mean i guess compared to other places it was like very expensive but i mean i think it was like way less expensive then than it is now to live there and i got an apartment like in hollywood i mean it's just the stars all kind of aligned in a weird way i had a guitar student at um, sound of music whose dad was a pilot and i just was like hey i need to fly to la to like look at this apartment and uh you know if, if I, I wasn't even asking for anything for free i was like if you could just If there's any way you can help me out. And he ended up getting me, like, me and um, my friend Andrew Rossborough, who moved there with me, like, free first-class tickets there and back. And I literally went to L.A. for a day, looked at the place, got it, and then flew back. And then so when I got there, I just took out a bunch of money for student loans, like I just said, and um, just sort of, like, I taught some guitar lessons. I would actually take a Greyhound bus up to Bakersfield, which is, like, if you know that part of California, it's, like, 100 miles away. So it's not like a short trip because I had a friend that lived there. I'd go there and teach lessons, but it definitely wasn't to like buy food. It was, I think it was just to get out of the city and to do, I just, again, just a bunch of student loan money.
0: Yeah. So that uh, Bakersfield is out in the desert, right? Yeah. That's where Merle Haggard is from, right? Uh, Buck,
4: Owens. Buck Owens. Buck Owens is what's really popular for Bakersfield. Okay. Sure. He's like the Bakes, Bakersfield country sound is Buck Owens. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And Merle's from California too, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I think so.
4: Yeah, I'm not for sure. I,
0: I think his family I, is originally from uh, from Oklahoma, but uh, that makes sense. I think he was from California, which is kind of funny because you don't think of Merle Haggard as being someone from California.
7: Yeah, well, I think Bakersfield. I think it's like the Bakersfield Sound, and I and I think, <clears throat> I mean, I, I I loosely know the history of this, but I believe that was sort of where like the the prominent use of electric guitar was sort of, I think that's a lot of what Buck Owens was doing. Okay, um, for sure. So, I I mean, I think that's part of that. I've actually played at the um, Buck Owens Crystal Palace a bunch of times, and it's a very, like, kitschy throwback of. yeah it's kind of a freaky little place a very freaky colorful place um very cool i've got um when i was touring with cam we played there a bunch of times i i did an opening set as a dj for cam on a tour and i i got to perform there um as well yeah it's a bakersfield definitely has like a special place in my heart so i would go there and like but yeah like thinking back to it it was like kind of crazy like to drive a hundred miles to like teach a couple guitar lessons you know but it's all about that grind how did you meet Cam? So when I was living in L.A., I would say that the, I lived in a bunch of different places. But the part of town that I lived in where I really felt like I kind of found my way and found my people was a, a part of town called Los Feliz. Some people say Los Feliz. Um, I moved into this apartment building with my friend Banna. And Tyler had hit me up kind of randomly around 2009 and was like, hey, I want to hire you to play guitar on something. And then we just happened to live in the same apartment building. Like he literally lived like right above me. It'd be like, if here's Doug's here in the basement and Tyler's up there, Oh like wow. in the house. <laughs> yeah, that's like how close we were. So it was just like, well this is just serendipitous and kismet. So like he, I went up there, we started like working together. Definitely we're both kinda like, he was starting to produce and I was like doing gigs and stuff, but also producing people. So he had a roommate that was dating Cam. And so Cam would kind of come around, and then she wanted to do some music. And so Tyler brought me in to, like, play guitar on some of her demos and stuff. And we just got along really well. And then we were actually roommates at one time um, for maybe, like, six months or so. Um, And then, you know, we just kind of stayed in touch and had, you know, my friend Anders I went to GIT with. I kind of I introduced her to him and they began writing songs together and he definitely had way more of like the authentic country thing than I did. Um growing up in Kokomo, I always heard country, but I feel like again, just sort of an era where I was like very like I definitely had like my taste that I was like very allegiant to and country I like I definitely loved songs like Strawberry Wine and Wide Open Spaces. Great songs, yeah. Um yeah, like I Swear, even though the I feel like the country version of I Swear I remember really liking the R&B All For One version oh, yeah. when it was oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so looking back, I actually think I've always loved songs. Like, you know, as you kind of, like, dig back to music from your youth, it's like I used to be such, like, a an elitist with music where I was just like, I only want the most, like, underground shit. Can I cuss? Yeah. Okay. And uh, Fuck yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just, like, my tastes were so specific to something that maybe felt like it had some sort of integrity. But now I look back on a lot of that stuff, and I'm just like, shit, like, my favorite songs are kind of the hits. Right. You know, with some exceptions. So I guess my, that's my way of saying, in meeting Cam, like, really, I didn't know much about country music. But, like, in my time working with her between, like, from, like, 2011 till I stopped touring with her in 2018, I definitely got a crash course in, yeah. like country. And now, I mean, there's so much country music that I,
4: that That, I love. That's so interesting that you said that because I grew up in like a bluegrass family where it was just always there. But when I was younger, my older sister, I was always kind of listening to what she listened to Mm -hmm. and Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, all these like big pop songs. I, I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was great. And it was kind of it kind of made me think of the same thing. Like, well, ultimately, they're just good songs.
7: And- yeah. And, and when you look back and I mean, and I think there's a reason why that stuff is just kind of getting recycled again. And people re- and I think probably a hundred I think there's so many I, I think a hundred years from now, like when we're all dead, like I think people will still be like celebrating Jimi Hendrix. Oh, and totally. Kurt Cobain oh yeah, and, and, definitely. You know, and, and who knows what else? ICP. Yeah. ICP. Yeah, no, no, definitely coming into this interview, I was just like, man, I've definitely been on. I don't know what it is. I think it's more like, so my love of music definitely comes from my dad. My dad is like a very casual hoarder who like definitely like growing up, like any sort of interest that I had, he just would like, like any good dad, I, I think he would like really support what my interests were. And he loved music, but he didn't really like, he played a little guitar, but I think he just, you know, I mean, man, when I was born, I think my dad was like 26, you know? So it's like, I think maybe for that time, that was not a super young dad. It feels very young to be a dad. He married my mom who had like two two older kids. So like, I think he really supported all of my interests. And like, but even today I was just talking to him. He was sending me like screenshots of his like CDs and just super into music. So I, I was telling these guys last week, it's like having a career in music is like, You know it's very very hard. As I'm sure you guys know, and anybody listening to this knows, like you just it is feast or famine, up and down all the time. And if in and you will have your moments of prosperity, but they will probably happen in ways you're not expecting. And um, at the end of the day, you just got to be a fan of music. And I really think that like my love of music as a consumer is what really keeps me excited about doing it. You know, because it's fucking it's hard. It's hard work.
0: Yeah. Well, it's just like uh, I've been in Nashville for for eight years and there's been a lot of ups and downs. And it always seems like when you are busy, you are busy. Yeah. You know, you don't have much time for anything, much let alone yourself. Yeah, that's true. Um, but then it's like there are other times where you're just kicking around, working a job, doing whatever, just wondering, like, when is it? When is something going to pop off or when is something going to happen? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it's like, be careful what you wish for. Because it's like, when you... It was a couple weeks ago, I was super busy. I was so fucking stressed out. Where literally, I was... I took a gig, um, like, last minute. I also had a couple podcasts that week. And it was just every day. I was learning songs on my lunch break to get ready for this gig on Friday. We had a couple rehearsals booked. So it was just a lot going on. But yeah. It's in those moments where it's like, I feel so overwhelmed and stressed out, but then once I'm on stage, it's like, okay, it's all all worth yeah, it.
7: Yeah, this is why I do it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, man, there's definitely a spe- – I mean, I talking to, to these guys a lot, it's just like that 20s era period – I mean, that's just like, that's when you really, really grind and you really, really just do everything you can because you really have like, I mean, everybody's lives are so different. So, but I just think, you know, if you, if you're in a position where you can just give everything to it, like that's the time to do it. Because I do think, you know, after a decade of that, that's when you'll really start to see, I think all that kind of manifest. So just going back to talking about, you know, meeting Cam and Tyler and all these different people, it was like, I mean, those are relationships that you know, took a decade to to really, like, manifest, you know? And and we were all kind of in it together. So it's like, I just feel really lucky. So I feel like that was ultimately what made me want to move. I was, you know, when I was talking to you guys earlier about, like, living in Kokomo, I just felt so... I feel like I grew up there at such an interesting time where I had access to so many, like, creative people that, like, really inspired me. But then, obviously, at a certain point, I was like, okay, I really want to do this for a career, And I'm not really sure where to go from, this is like 2005, so it's like early days of internet, I kind of, I was like, okay, well I could go to Berkeley, I don't know if I want to go to school for four years, and then I learned about GIT having like, and at that time, I mean, I was just such, I was just such a dumbass, like, I like, I moved there and I was like dating this girl, and I was like, "I'm only gonna go here for six months, and I'm gonna move back." And then I had a friend who was just like, "What the
2: fuck are you saying?
7: <laughs> you gotta stay here, man. You are supposed to be here."
4: Right. Yeah. And I was just like, "Thank you." That's a good friend. That is
7: a really good friend. Thank you, Trevor, if you're if you're if you're listening. Um, and you know you are. Yeah, T Bone. Shout out to T Bone. Um, and uh, yeah, my younger brother obviously at that time was very supportive. I mean, going back to my dad, I I just think like he really was like. My, I, I, just, I just feel so lucky to have had such a strong support system around, like my family, my friends, like everyone around me, and they still are. Like yeah. they still, like, are so proud and like celebratory, and it's like, and it's, and I think that the more time goes on, the more appreciative I am. And again, as cliche as it sounds, but it's like the more time goes on, the more I really, really appreciate it. <laughs>
5: Hey buddy, hey buddy come on Hey buddy come on come on come on Hey buddy come on Hey buddy come on It'd be pretty sick dude. It'd be a good song. <laughs>